Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Mike, I didn't think I was going to make it this week. What was wrong? <laughs> it was touch and go. I seem to have caught some horrible form of the plague. <laughs> oh, no. Do you have rats in the house? Isn't that... I do, yes. They're running around and... Uh, I'm wondering what germs those, everywhere. What those strange boils on your face was. <laughs> I wasn't sure. And now we know you have the plague. Okay. Yes, yes. Great. No, I, I had that nasty cold flu thing that everybody's been getting. And um, for a while, my voice was gone completely. Uh-oh. It returned, thankfully, in Good. time for our show on Sunday. Good. Yeah, but, we had um, a nice time playing on Sunday. Yeah, and in time for this conversation that we're having. But for a while, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to talk. Oh, oh, we had a celebrity. I mean, Baltimore is in the news this week uh, for everything going. But we had a celebrity run in on Sunday because the show we played at, Tristan Wilds from The Wire, set in Baltimore, <laughs> uh, was at the show we played at on Sunday. And... Um, he played the character of Michael in the last couple seasons of The Wire, and I was excited about that. I watched the entirety of The Wire. Okay, I never watched year. that yet. So, and it's great. It's That's definitely worth seeing. It you know brings up a lot of deep. It's a show with I mean a predominantly African American cast. It's like the only major show that's ever really had a predominantly African like through its entire run. This you know it's really fantastic. Um, so that was a special treat. He's like, hey, the dude from The Wire's here, and he's like a <laughs> badass on The Wire. So I was yeah. like, yeah. Um, so that was fun. And uh, anyway, so we had a good show. Brush with Celebrity. Wendy almost died. Uh, and today is a big show for us on C on the sure side. Is. Because we have a special exclusive interview um, with some newsmakers here uh, talking about Roswell. That's awesome. And, and this is a special episode for anybody that hasn't. That uh, doesn't know the full story about Roswell. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to know the full story about Roswell. But this is going to be uh, a primer for those of you guys um, who are interested in it. And then we're going to get an interview with Don Schmidt, who's an investigator and who's part of these the smoke the Roswell smoking gun presentation Whoa. that's taking place in Mexico City on Cinco de Mayo. And there's been a lot of hype for that. I remember uh, yeah. one of the guests that we had on was it. Mark O'Connell that was yes. talking about that. So and uh Mark O'Connell actually uh funny enough, um he well, there's controversy surrounding Don Schmidt, who we talked okay. to today. And we'll get into Ooh, that. Okay. We'll get into that a little later. Don's I mean, he's a guy that I've met before, I've interviewed him before, and um some of his things are very consistent and very interesting. Some of them aren't. But we talked to him today, and Don's a, uh, he's a really cool guy. Awesome. And he's part of this thing next week. So <coughs> we're going to give you a preview of that with an exclusive interview with Don Schmidt at the end of the episode. Uh, but first of all, let's talk about Roswell. Um, a great place to talk about Roswell is Twitter, where you can it find is. us at Other Side Talk. Yes, and I, I have a little question for everybody. If you're listening right now, I just want to ask you to do us a favor, if you'd be so kind, and just just send a tweet to us telling us what you're doing right now as you're listening to the show. Because we're curious 
who's out there, who's listening, what you're doing, what you like to do while you listen to us. So if you're exercising or if you're driving, well, if you're driving, don't, you know, if wait, you're wait driving, you I want you to stop with like one hand on the wheel, no, no, one no. hand on the phone. And you can dictate, but at, right. Yeah, you, you can dictate. Anyway. No, but, but just, you know, at other side talk and then I'm juggling four zucchinis while riding a unicycle and listening to your show. Mate. If if that was the first thing you thought of, Wendy, like <laughs> what? That's maybe, what I do when I was in a podcast. Should, maybe you shouldn't be talking to me, and maybe you should be talking to a professional. <laughs> you don't do that while you're listening to podcasts. I don't juggle a lot of zucchini. Part of my morning routine, <laughs> right? Okay, go through it. Okay, <laughs> and I don't have a unicycle. I'm I'm bad enough on a bicycle. I'm bad enough on a car. It's only one wheel. One, you know, fewer wheel to to worry about. You're right. You're right. That's I encourage. If you're on a unicycle right now, please tweet. Please. <laughs> <coughs> tweet pick us. Yes. Tweet pick. Twi- yes, tweet, it, it, tweet pick. I don't even know if tweet pick is still just, around. Just a picture on Twitter now. Yeah. Just a pick on Twitter. Anyway, so that's a great place to talk about Roswell Twitter. And uh, let's start from the beginning. All right. When it comes to... Because it's a good place to start. Really, that is the most famous UFO incident in the United States history. Like that is, I think, it's right at the beginning of flying saucer mania. When this happens. And so you go back to um, 1947. There's a guy named Kenneth Arnold, and he's a private pilot, uh, and he works for the uh, U.S. Forest Service, or the U.S. He works for the United States government, but so he's not some crazy guy. He's flying around Mount Rainier up in the American Northwest, the Pacific, the mighty, beautiful Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And it's not raining that day, I guess. Anyway, so. Uh, he says what he sees is like a pie plate or a disc. And this is June 24th, 1947. And he sees a pie plate and like it's like it's popping fresh in the, in the sky. <laughs> he sees a pie jiffy plate. Jiffy pop. <laughs> yeah, it's a jiffy, a jiffy <laughs> pop in the sky. And that's what he sees. Okay. Um, and he reports that. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, it, it's in the Seattle like post intelligence. So he's the only one who saw it? He's, yes, but he was flying. Oh, okay. And so he had, a, he had a vantage point that... But this is the first didn't. report of a flying okay. saucer. And this is... I mean, newspapers start taking up a story. The guy sees a crazy flying saucer. Yeah. A jiffy pop in the air. And, okay, we're two years after the end of the Second World War. And so uh, a lot of pilots had seen weird stuff in the sure. sky during the Second World War. I mean, and they called them... What'd they call them? Unidentified flying objects? Not yet. That didn't no? come out until oh, 1952. They call dang. them Foo Fighters. Oh. oh. I missed okay. my cue. Hey. Okay. So that's what they called them Foo Fighters. And some people think that it was a, uh, uh, some people think that it was a like German special like flying mine mm-hmm. that was like, the, I mean, they always come up with this crazy science fiction technology yeah. that the Germans had. Um, and so that's it. The Foo Fighters sure. were just this crazy German flying mine. And uh, the term UFO wasn't created until 1952 when they were looking for something. I mean, it fits like Foo Fighters. I think UFO, like they would have done it right after. You see something that you don't know what it is. It's unidentified. Right. And it's flying. And Mm. guess what it is? It's it's an object. An object of some sort. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, but as as far as so the flying saucer craze, like this was, it was in all the newspapers. And this is June of 1947 that this happens. Okay. Now, saucer-shaped craft, this isn't the first time. that There's already in science fiction from the 1930s. I mean, but they still, I mean, most people thought, when they thought of spaceships, they thought of Flash Gordon rockets. 
or that you know trip to the moon movie from like 1910 or yeah. 1912 um they think of rockets they don't think of saucers flying in the sky and so it's only a couple weeks later when a guy named William Mac Brazel, mm-hmm. he is uh, he's a foreman working on a crew and, and he's working on out this ranch outside of Roswell, New Mexico. And he finds some weird debris, what he describes as a large area of bright wreckage made up of rubber strips, tin foil, rather tough paper and sticks. He was describing this weird debris he finds out. Um, out in the fields in Roswell, New Mexico. Okay. And he doesn't think much of it until a couple weeks later. July 7th, so this is just, you know, shortly after what Kenneth Arnold saw at the Flying Saucer, mm-hmm. first time. A couple weeks later, he reports to the sheriff saying, I think I might have found a Flying Saucer. All right. Now, um, this wouldn't be that big of a deal, but it made the newspaper, and it was like, hey, Flying saucer crash in Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah, that'd and, be crazy. Right. And the Air Force comes out and the Air Force, the I mean, they have a, um, they send out like an announcement about it. And oh here's gosh. what it says. The many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force, Roswell Army Airfield, was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers and the sheriff's office of Chavis County. The flying object landed on a ranch near Roswell sometime last week. Um, that's their official thing. So it's like a press release or whatever. Their press release is that they found a flying saucer. Their press release is not that they found terrifying. a weather balloon. Yeah, right. Or, or or just debris that they didn't recognize or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, no. It was like a balloon from the <laughs> mall. Like, the, you know, it was from Party City or whatever. No. Or Spencer Gifts. You know, it was not, this is not from Spencer Gifts. <laughs> they said we found a flying saucer. And that was the official line. And so that's why people were like, holy crap, they found a flying saucer. So then what happens is a guy named Jesse Marcel, he's working for the military, and he features in later on. Jesse Marcel is a, a military officer. He comes to get the debris from the trash site. Um, from the crash site, not the trash site. <laughs> well, there was a lot of debris trash. <laughs> yes. But, so, I mean, Jesse Marcel is later interviewed in his life, and he comes out, and he's, you know, he's the one who was really saying, like, this wasn't. This wasn't a weather balloon. He says the, ma- the material found was, quote unquote, nothing of Whoa. this earth. Okay? So he describes it, but the thing is the story kind of dies down for a while after the initial... Shock and awe. <laughs> yeah, that they're like, oh my God, because the Air Force later on says, oh no, it was just a weather balloon. You know, it wasn't a flying saucer. And then the story kind of dies. And it kind of stays alive in UFO conspiracy theories for the next, you know, but it it doesn't really enter the public imagination again until the 1980s. A guy writes a book called The Roswell Incident, and they call this the first version of the story. And this is, you know, he says he talks to people in interviews that lightning struck the UFO, it crashes, all the aliens died at the scene or whatever, and then they just came and, and picked him up. And so he releases this book, The Roswell Incident, in 1980. Well, okay, so you, ever, you remember Unsolved Mysteries? Yep. Yeah, 
And Unsolved Mysteries, I think we've it's talked like about favorite. on the show before. Right, we all yeah. like Ron Robert Stack. You know, the guy, and he had a it's trench terif- coat on. And you're a kid, it's terrifying, too, because you're sure you're going to get abducted or, you know, right. or vanish in the night. The, the recreations of, like, haunted toys, uh, the haunted Toys R Us and stuff. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about the haunted Toys R Us sometime. Um, but, so, in 1989, Unsolved Mysteries does a story on Roswell based on this guy's book, The Roswell Incident. And that's one of their little, you know, vignettes. So... A guy named Glenn Dennis sees it on Unsolved Mysteries and he calls in and he says, well, not just was there an alien crash, but he was there for the alien autopsy. Oh my gosh. So this is the first, we're starting to get eyewitness events 35 years after it happens. And no longer just of a a saucer, but actual creatures. Right. Actual alien bodies. Okay. Okay. So he gets into it. Um, And then we get into, so Don Schmidt who we interview in a little bit, and he's a Wisconsin guy. Um, he and another guy named Kevin Randall go in, and they start doing the investigation. And they start talking oh, to these okay. witnesses. They talk to Glenn Dennis. He becomes one of the foundation wow. of their book, uh, UFO Crasher Roswell. And so UFO Crasher Roswell is like the second version of the story. And it gets in deeper. Like People are saying that President Eisenhower... Uh, saw the bodies and everything. So this goes from just being, you know, a UFO crash to we actually, you know, we examined the bodies. We took them yeah. apart. Okay. Right. And so then this gets even deeper. In the 1990s, we have X-Files mania. And the and president's involved. So it's a, like cover up. And, and a conspiracy. Yeah. Okay. So now what happens? 1995. Alien autopsy video. I remember that. Yes, we remember it. So if you guys weren't around in the 90s. It was so creepy. There was, it was hosted by Commander Riker himself, William Frakes. And he calls, he goes, (laughs) alien autopsy. And it was shown on like Fox on like a Friday night or something. I remember, I think I had people over. It was like a live, live thing. Right. And uh, we watched the alien autopsy (laughs) video. And it was, it was a London based guy that said he had, um, you know, he'd gotten the footage from a shady character and everything, and they'd gotten this old, you know, from 1947 cool. in New Mexico, and it was the Roswell bodies being taken apart. And it's a little bit gruesome, and it's fuzzy, and it's hard to see. And it's pretty creepy. Yeah, it is pretty creepy. And then it's like, everybody's like, do you think it's real? And I'm like, well, do you think it? it you think the government would allow this to be shown <laughs> right. on Fox? Like primetime. Right. If they if it was real, I mean, Ray Santilli a few years later he eventually came out and said, "Well, most of the alien autopsy video was recreated." He said it, but it was based on lost footage. Mm. So he's still holding on to his old BS. Yeah, you know, and and about this time, this is when we get into some of the controversy we deal with when we talk about Don Schmidt. He is working for the Center for UFO Studies as opposed to the Mutual UFO Network, which are the two like main UFO oh, okay. research organizations in the country. This, so like we interviewed Mark O'Connell. Mm-hmm. He's an investigator for MUFON, the oh, Mutual right. UFO yeah, Network. Okay. And so Don Schmidt was one of the higher-up people at the Center for UFO Studies. He'd worked with J. Allen Hynek, who Mark's writing a book about. Um, and anyway, I guess there was a controversy was that Don wasn't entirely honest about his credentials. Oh, okay. You know, he said he had like a degree that he didn't have. I see. And people started to question some well, of his... Well, sure. Re- yeah. People started to question some of his research because of that. Like, did he conduct the research? He said an assistant did some research. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that, you know, some of that happened and that caused a split with the guy he was writing books with, Kevin Randall. Gotcha. And there was a bunch of controversy in the 1990s for it. Interesting. So, um, I mean, Don's, <laughs> I think, you know, he's working, he worked to recover his reputation, you know, through his next yeah, books and stuff. Sure. But as far as, uh, you know, he's a nice guy, a very compelling speaker. But, you know, whether you take everything with a grain of salt, I mean, we're talking about UFOs here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah, you anyway. gotta. You gotta. Um, but we talk about the pop culture, uh, uh, pop culture references to Roswell at the time. I mean, in the 1990s, Independence Day. Oh my gosh. So Independence Day, Judd Hirsch plays, um, who's the guy from, Jeff Goldblum's father in Independence Day. And, you know, what is he says to the president, he goes, you knew about this. (laughs) And Judd Hirsch is the lead, if you guys, he's the lead character from Taxi. If you remember Taxi, Judd Hirsch is is the main character on Taxi. He's a great actor. And he's like, you knew about this. They crashed in the 1940s in New Mexico. (laughs) And he, you know, he says that right too, you know. Mm -hmm. And so Roswell's referenced in that movie. Uh, there's a Showtime movie made. We talk with Don about that because cool. Don wrote the book. His book, The UFO Crash at Roswell, is the basis of oh, wow. the Showtime movie Roswell, which was nominated for um, Best TV Film at the Golden Globes. Stars Kyle MacLachlan, Martin Sheen. It, That's it's impressive. A, it's a great movie. Cool. It's a great movie. And he talks about the production of that movie in the interview and like how it got optioned and the whole process they went uh, to get made. And it's really interesting. Like he was supposed to be with the original script was about the investigators. And so he, you know, he would have been one of the lead characters, which I thought was neat. Um, so moving on. So we have that eventually the WB makes a show called Roswell, <laughs> you know, based on that these are children of the aliens who oh, originally okay. crashed in the 1940s. Sure. <laughs> and so it, Roswell just enters cool. the imagination. Yeah. 1997, um, Bill Clinton even later on says that he asked the people in the Air Force about it. Oh, wow. He's interviewed. Well, wouldn't you if you were the president? I mean, yeah, I, yeah would. I would. I mean, know. and he's interviewed later on when Hillary is running for president and he's doing some press for Hillary and the radio guy's like, President Clinton, tell us about Roswell. <laughs> and he oh. goes, you know, it's I, it's funny enough. I mean, my Bill Clinton's horrible. He's like, yeah, so I did back in the 50th anniversary of 1997. Uh, I don't even know what that sounds like. Um, he goes, but I guess, you know, it was just a weather balloon and that, and then, you know. Yeah, sure. But of was. course he's going to say that. Keep talking, Slick Willie. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and the Air Force comes out that year too and says that the reason that was a big cover-up is because the weather balloon was called Project Mogul. And Project Mogul was designed to uh, take readings on where Soviet missiles were. Ah, okay. So well, the idea was they said it was a flying saucer because they didn't want the Soviets to know it's that better they were... to hide that, hide it through some fantastic... Right. Oh, yeah, it's aliens, yeah. man. Sure. So, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the 50th anniversary of Roswell, they did have, I mean, the government made some official statements on it. Um, a few years later, Bill Richardson, he's, uh, you know, a, a con- congressman from New Mexico. He's looking to run for president and things like that. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he says a direct quote that uh, when he investigated and he said he was told the documents were classified and, and Bill Richardson's a Democrat. He goes, that ticked me off. The government doesn't tell the truth as much as it should in a lot of issues and promised once he was president, he would investigate it further. John Podesta, Bill Clinton's chief of staff, um, he's 
working on like a documentary on the sci-fi channel. He's a total UFO nut. Awesome. Um, and he says it's time for the government to classify records that are more than 25 years old and to provide scientists with data that will assist in determining the true nature of the phenomena. Hmm. So, so he knows something um, that we don't, right. and he so wants John, it out. John Podesta, you know, he's really into this stuff, and he, you know, he always makes X Files jokes in his Twitter account and stuff like oh, that. Oh, that's cool. And so, uh, he's the guy I think we'll have to turn to if we ever want disclosure of the okay. truth. Um, Maybe we can get him as a guest sometime. Oh God, that, right? Get, we'll we'll see. Maybe if Hillary, when Hillary runs, maybe John yeah. Podesta will help out trying right. to get the trying to get the, uh, the, word the paranormal out. crowd. There you go. You, you know? never know. Actually, he might try to get the paranormal crowd. That that you gotta you know gotta win be, somehow. Hey, be interesting. So angle. the the last real interesting Roswell thing that came out was a few years ago. A woman named Annie Richardson wrote a book on Area Fifty One, and she said she'd interviewed all these people that had worked. Oh. At the Air Force Base, Groom okay. Lake in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And um, she's got this one weird chapter where they talk about whoever crashed at Roswell, New Mexico. Uh-huh. And one of the scientists had told her that the Soviets had gotten Dr. Joseph Mengele, who is... He was the Nazi like terror. He was the, he'd experiment on people. He did sick yeah. experiments on twins and on the concentration camp mm-hmm. victims. I mean, he is the 20th century mad scientist. Mm-hmm. You know, when you would say that he, he's a Nazi mad scientist. And after the war, they said that the Soviets got him and they wanted to use him to make grotesque and childlike aviators, like alien looking. So you perform experiments on children or whatever, 12-year-olds, who large heads and abnormally shaped oversized eyes, and they would get them in a small craft, have them crash in the United States, and it would create a war of the world's oh type gosh. panic where we think we were, that United sure. States would all of a sudden become destabilized because we thought we were being invaded by okay. aliens. Wow, that's fascinating. And so she was on a whole bunch of... Uh, talk shows coast to coast and everything like that a few years ago to go over that. And so that kind of brings us where we are today. Okay. May 5th, Mexico City. Um, they think that they, they say they have the smoking gun on Roswell. Wow. And Don, and it's, it's these slides from the 1940s yeah. and Don's going to get into that and he's going to give us a special preview of what people so he can knows, expect to see. He knows what they're going to present. He's invested. He was the guy that investigated oh, the slides. Okay. Like the guy with the slides came to them. Is he going to be there? Yes, he's awesome. going to be in Mexico City, oh, and he's—I cool. mean—he was part of the investigative team. Him and his partner Kevin Carey, and it's hosted by like the Mexican Art Bell. Like that's, that's the guy. Great. I mean, I'm sure what they did was that they had these slides. They wanted to put on a big event, and uh, they went to the highest bidder, and it's this guy in Mexico who's putting on this huge paranormal live stream event on yeah. Cinco de Mayo, and we're going to have Fantastic. that. That information is going to be in the show notes, and you can check it. Is out. Is it going to be live cast on the web? The whole yes. thing. Oh okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a full day of like the evidence surrounding it, and Don's a presenter, one one of the main nice. presenters, because he's a main investigator. Well, I fully intend to to pour myself a margarita and right. pop that yeah. baby yeah. on. Think and watch. Of, right, you can party and sing it the mile yeah. style uh, with the Roswell smoking gun. Fascinating. So, so anyway, cool. that's just if you guys were wondering, just the history of the Roswell UFO crash. That is your Roswell 101. And then let's have our advanced class with the speaker and one of the leading Roswell investigators, Don Schmidt. And we're with Don Schmidt. 
UFO researcher and author of books like The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell, The UFO Crash at Roswell, Witness to Roswell. How are you doing today, Don? I'm kind of Roswell out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you are the, I mean, you've been uh, holding the Roswell banner for decades now. It has become more than just a, uh, by far, a cursory interest as much as it's become a, a devotion to finish what we've started. And I always emphasize, Mike, that I was a complete skeptic when we made that first uh, trip, when we made the decision to actually conduct an independent investigation into the events in 1947. Mm -hmm. I was completely confident we'd wrap this up in a weekend, that we'd come away with you know, solid proof that it was a, was a balloon or something just as prosaic. And when you actually start to speak to the first-hand witnesses who held the wreckage in their hand, who described the same characteristics from witness to witness, and then you come away thinking, my God, we need to get back down here as soon as possible and talk to more and more of these people. Well, what was your, how did you get involved in that in the first place? Like, I assume you probably were just into UFOs as a kid, or what started the whole thing? Um, yeah, as a kid, I had never had an experience, never had a sighting. Um, I was truly fascinated with the Kennedy assassination. Not that there's any connection, but... That um, we know of. That we, well, yes, I would agree, but I uh, was Christmas shopping with my folks on one occasion, and I happened to come across a book. And my parents could tell you from the age of six on, all I ever wanted were books. You know, my brothers, you know, all types of toys, I wanted books. So they let me pick out my books before Christmas. And I happened to catch this book that had words such as whitewash and cover-up all over the title, okay. all over the title page, which were the same words that were thrown out immediately after the Warren report came out. That's right. Investigating the Kennedy assassination. But this happened to be about flying saucers, of all things. It was the book Flying Saucers, Serious Business by the late Frank Edwards. And my first book on UFOs. Awesome. And I read it, and I was beyond captivated. It was, uh, and especially the chapter, Who's Driving, where it got into all the occupant reports from all around the world. And for living out in the country and having grown up, you know, camping under the stars and just always, you know, staring skyward and always just contemplating the possibilities. And I loved it. And it's not that it ever has become, you know, a, a hobby or a, even an obsession as much as, as a scientist. And I'm not a scientist, but I always thought that was the general way of a scientist, being foremost curious about things. Absolutely. How does something work? How does something, you know, evolve? How does it survive? How does it fit as far as within our own reality, that type of thing. And that's why I then also realized that why aren't people paying attention to this? Why aren't people of the scientific community actually studying this phenomenon? Because you're talking about potentially the biggest story of the millennium. 
Well, yeah, of course. So then as I went through high school and then thereafter, I went into investigative training because I wanted to become an investigator. I wanted to actually get into the field and look in these cases firsthand. And it was an organization at that time called the Area Phenomena Research Organization, APRO. And it was founded by the late Coro and Jim Lorenzen, who happened to originate it here in Wisconsin. Hey, all right, I like that. And uh, they, uh, in a few years, they would move the organization down to Tucson, Arizona. But I became their their principal investigator here for Wisconsin. And one of my case reports happened across the desk of Dr. Jalen Hynek, who was not only the consultant to the Air Force Project Blue Book for 19 years, but he then would be the founder and scientific director of the Center for UFO Studies out of Chicago. And Heineck invited me to come down to Chicago to meet with him. And he was more than impressed, I guess, because within a year I became one of his special investigators. And then thereafter I became his director of special investigations. And then I served on the board of directors at the Center for UFO Studies. Okay. And I, again, I was generally a skeptic. And here we are now, 25 years later, working on this one case that I thought I could explain away in a weekend. And we've interviewed over 600 people. We've had four archaeological digs at the debris crash site. We've had five best-selling books. We did the Roswell move. We've done close to 100 documentaries. Now, real quick, thousands we, of interviews. We should get into the Roswell movie a little bit because I, th- sure. I think a lot of our listeners would be super interested in that. Um, how did you get approached originally uh, that they were going to use your book as source material for that? I had been investigating a case out in Los Angeles for for the Center for Evil Studies, and actor. Roy Thinnis, who's a dear friend of mine. I've known him for 30 years now. Sure, from The Invaders, the right? Of, uh, the Invaders, correct. And this producer in Hollywood had had a sighting with his two children, and he was talking to none other than Robert Wise, who had directed The Day the Earth Stood Still. And The Haunting, and Wise, right? Like he, he, he's, a, he's a real genre classic director. Uh, Sound of Music, the first Star Trek uh, movie, um, West Side Story, and my favorite UFO movie of all time, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Absolutely. Well, anyway, Roy suggested that, well, I know Roy Thinnis very well. This might be something he'd be interested in looking into. So I forget how Roy called me up, and I said, yeah, go play David Vincent, who was his character in the uh, TV series. Mm Mm-hmm. And he loved it. And he sent me a, uh, a, a full panoramic view of all the photographs of their vantage point when they saw this dome disc come down over the Pasadena Valley and all the interviews and then talking to neighbors and everything was on tape and the maps were drawn and everything. And this was from Roy Thinnis. And it was a case of, well, as soon as I'm out there, I'd like to meet these people. Sure. Well, it was executive producer of the Roswell movie, Paul Davids. And that is where we struck as far as this instant, this instant bond, this rapport of uh, not only the interest in the subject, but as he learned what we were working on at that time, and this is even before we did the first book, Beautiful Crash at Roswell. Okay. And he himself was so fascinated by what we were coming up with that he approached 
approached us and asked, can I option the book even before it comes out? And it took us another four years and seven drafts of the script. In fact, uh, even two of the scripts had Kevin Randall and myself kind of like the original Scully and Mulder. <laughs> because we would have been portrayed by actors as the two protagonists in that movie. And I would have to, I mean, I can sincerely say in our humbleness at that time, we declined. We suggested, no, 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 no. The story is much bigger than the investigation, bigger than we are. Let's be true to the original event. Mm-hmm. And that's what you, you saw as the final version the Showtime movie Roswell, and then how proud we were when we were nominated uh, also Best Picture for made for TV movie. Yeah, no, it, it was it was a real exciting event uh, when that movie came out. I remember I was in high school and we were just like, you know, how we go to our friend's house with Showtime so we could watch the movie about Roswell. Well, we had uh, the premiere at the Directors Guild in Hollywood, and many of the cast and and crew were present as well as. Uh, all of the uh, people throughout the industry that were invited as far as to the private screening. And I'll never forget how we're sitting there, and the head of the Directors Guild, he's talking about all the special people involved with the project, and everybody's standing up and you know, taking their applause and everything. And, and all of a sudden, he comes to the end, and he says, and finally, I would like to introduce two of the bravest people I have ever heard of. If not for, you know, their involvement, this movie would have never been made, and we only wish them all the success in the world in completing their mission. And we're kind of looking around like, who is he talking about? (laughs) And the next thing, he calls out our names. (laughs) That must have been awesome. It was. It was. And then I think, and for the rest of my days, I will regret the fact that when we were nominated Best Picture, and then we were part of the, the entire uh, group that was invited to the actual award ceremonies. We did not attend. Mm. We, 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 we should have, we could have, but we were in the field working. We were, you know, still, you know, that, that pumped, that, you know, inspired to get out there and, you know, just keep going after the witnesses. Well, how do you and, feel that, like, so, at, so what you guys believed at the time? or your closest, you know, conjectures and where you were in the investigation at the time, how do you feel that the scriptwriter treated your work? Like, how close did they hew to it? And um, where did they take, did they take any liberties where you were like, well, that's really exaggerating the truth or what you believed was the truth? Uh, Actually, I would say we were very pleased with the overall uh, development of the script. In fact, we were thoroughly involved, again, with Paul Davids in the four years that uh, it took us to finally sell the project to Showtime. Now, keep in mind, we had originally uh, sold the project to HBO. Okay. And I will never forget Paul calling me one evening and, you know, just, just devastated, just telling me, Don, it's over, it's over. Michael Fuchs, who was the president of HBO at that time, he was returning from uh, HBO in New York, and he called up from the plane, you know, we're not doing it, uh, you know, kill it, it's too controversial, we're not touching it. Okay. And this was after the script had already been accepted, and we were going into casting and pre-production. And so I was like, oh my God, we have to now start from square one. And within the course of a week, 
we came up with the idea, well, why don't we just take it across the street and go to Showtime? See if they'd be interested. And within six months, we had a deal with them. So we've partly missed the beat. But, and they didn't, uh, we they were, didn't push, they didn't push for like, we need things to be more, you know, action oriented or, you know, we need a fist fight with the aliens. Like they didn't have anything like that. No, no, no. And that's another reason that we were so pleased with it because it was just high drama. It was just a very well written script. The dialogue, for example, one of the things that I also was impressed with is that Showtime and their own conviction to produce this film that they hired on playwright, award-winning playwright, Arthur Coppett, to do the screenplay. So we'd be flying to New York, meeting with Coppett, and then we would go to L.A. and then meet with Showtime, and this development of, of the script went back and forth, and the two investigators were entirely part of that development. Okay. So it was a wonderful, wonderful situation. And the biggest problem I think we had, there were two. The one was, who would be the central character? It came down to, would it be the intelligence officer, Jesse Marcel, who went out to first investigate the crash? Or would it be the rancher, Mac Brazel, who first discovered the crash on the ranch that he supervised back at that time? Mm -hmm. Well, we decided on Major Marcel because... We could bring in his wife and his son, and then, as you know, his son, Jesse Jr., had an interesting involvement at their home, handling and witnessing some of the wreckage. Right. And then uh, it was the ending. Well, how do we bring this to a finale? Because it's still a very fluid, ongoing investigation. How do we, you know, bring this to a climax? And I think we also came up with, um, and it was mostly Paul David's idea, again, that if we envision how it would be with a certain deep throat, you know, kind of a throwback even to the Kennedy assassination and even the way Oliver Stone handled it in JFK. Mm -hmm. And that was the character that Martin Sheen played. And he practically is remembering the movie at the end where he's meeting with the Marcel character in that abandoned hangar. Right. And he tells him everything. So it's almost like one could imagine in that type of situation tells tells him it's all true and then marcel finally says okay but what did i see back in that field back in 1947 why jesse that was just a weather balloon so he reels him right back in and marcel was yelling no it wasn't you know i know exactly what i held right in my hands and the the, the deep throat character goes go right ahead tell the world Tell them everything. You have no proof. And that's the dilemma that not only that we have had, but all of our witnesses have had for all of these decades, all these years. Well, I thought that, that was a great way to, the, the, that was a great dramatic way to bring it around to in the movie. Because you're not, you know, it's, it, it's got that mystery aspect. And, you know, Martin Sheen is doing what, you know, the Donald Sutherland X character from JFK. Yes, yes. And if the audience can actually sympathize and to some extent even empathize with such witnesses that you know something to be true, but there's no way you can prove it. And especially it's something that, of that magnitude and how frustrating to live a lifetime knowing and thinking that, well, maybe this year, maybe next year. And that's precisely what they did with Marcel, you know, just be a good right. soldier, just pose with the substituted weather balloon. And in five years, it's all going to come out. 10 years, 15, 30 years, he's dying of emphysema. 
and he realizes it's not coming out. Well, I, and well, that brings us to, I mean, this month, you say it's all going to come out. Uh, I mean, people have been talking about this event on Cinco de Mayo as the smoking gun. Yes. And, yes. I, and you're, you're there, right? Like you're one of the featured speakers? We've been working on this now for three years. We have uh, we, we had the good fortune of originally being contacted by the owners of uh, these two slides that were part of the collection that um, even East Kodak, their historians have dated circa 1947, 1949. We know who the photographers were. We will be explaining and demonstrating their history, their involvement, not only with President Eisenhower and his wife, Mamie, but also other uh, high-ranking officials from that time. So they traveled in higher circles. We cannot demonstrate how they would have been provided this opportunity, but nonetheless, they were able to take two pictures of a body on a glass table. And... From all of the scientific analysis, all of the anthropologists, all the pathologists, all the forensic experts, down to a man and woman, they have told us that this is not a human being. Well, have are you guys going to make available like um, that? You know, the name, name like the Kodak expert that you oh, talked yes. to. Oh yes, oh yes, yep. In fact, even uh, the scientists will all be identified. In fact, many of them will be at the event. They will be up on stage, you know, presenting their arguments, their case, uh, that this is something beyond, uh, you know, any type of human condition, any type of human malady that has ever been reported or documented. And uh, I, I know people have been tossing around this notion that it's a mummy, for example. Well, that was the first thing we eliminated years ago. And that is why so much of this, as you put it, has just been rumor and just, you know, just abject speculation trying to uh, well, basically just explain this away before it's even released. And there's been controversy, too, because there's been, like, hacked emails and stuff. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In fact, my partner, Tom Carey, and I, somebody tried to hack into our uh, home computers all within 24 hours. His system completely crashed. And no sooner than he could warn me, mine crashes the very next morning. And then there were three other hacks that happened with colleagues within you know, our group before that. So we were quickly, you know, everybody just delete everything on a computer, every email. You know, we're going to have anything that anybody's going to have access to. So for those that think it was just such a simple matter of shopping these slides around and having all these scientists look at them and that they would all voice their opinion. Well, just imagine, Mike, the security involved. It's no different than if we'd have a piece of hardware from the crash. Sure. You just can't, you know, drop it in a mailbox and think it's going to arrive at the other end or, you know, casually get on a plane with it and think that your life, you know, is in some way endangered. Uh, it's been quite a uh, uh, trapeze tightwire <laughs> act for all the people involved. And I'm very proud of the fact that uh, here we are just a week away. Well, how did and you, how did you get called in the first place? Like, I mean, obviously when you look up Roswell investigator, I mean, your website, roswellinvestigator.com. So 
that's precisely how it happened that they just went online and they did some of their homework and um, we were the ones that they contacted and um, personally i'm very very pleased they did well sure because this is going to be a big event for you guys well the other thing is uh, i mean we immediately were asked to sign statements of non-disclosure which you know would not in which would not allow us to speak out to do interviews talk about you know the details of what was going on we had to basically keep quiet even uh, to the fact that the slides existed for the first two years and then as it slowly leaked out we still had to play you know mum on the situation which really never gave us a chance to fire back and defend ourselves but um well, what do We're you going think? to be presenting it as scientifically as possible. We regret that we are we're having to do it outside of this country. But as one of the scientists, he's a consultant in anthropology, uh, as far as the Mutual UFO Network, and he told us directly, you will not find an American scientist who will give you an honest analysis about this. And isn't that sad? Well, it's it's also I mean also though that the um, the guy that's putting it on I don't how do you say his name again Jaime Masson yeah yeah Jaime I just I didn't want to say it wrong but um like he's like the Mexican art bell right Oh in many ways and he actually started out he was a Mexican uh, correspondent for uh, CBS sixty minutes Okay and he's got his own TV show and I more than once have observed. I don't care what state, even other countries, where we'll be in an airport or at a, at a hotel, and the staff, pilots, personnel, people will just come walking up to him, and I know you, or you're that Mexican reporter, and they want to have pictures and autographs, and so uh, he's, he's, he's widely, he's well-known as far as within uh, you know, the Spanish-speaking people of the world. Well, he's all, I mean, I think that um, that's a great way to get, you know, obviously attention for it. And he is known as a, as a showman. And yes, so what, yes. what are you guys doing? Or what do you think is the most important thing when it comes to uh, making your case about this? Because, you know, it's going to be surrounded. You're having it on Cinco de Mayo in Mexico City. I'm right. sure it's gonna, I mean, it's going to be crazy. So what are the most important things that you guys want to do to make sure, like, you know what, this isn't just, uh, you know, the alien abduction videotape that's narrated by Jonathan Frakes and stuff like that? Of course not. So of course not. what's the most important thing for you guys the to biggest, prove? The biggest proof, the biggest difference in all this are all the scientists and the scientists who are brave enough not only to put their names to the reports, but are also going to be part of the event. It's not going to be the Tom Carey and Don Schmidt show. It's going to be the slides. It's going to be the scientists who are going to be making, you know, as far as their very assessments, their analyses of what they now are convinced is, you know, pictured in these two slides. It's not us claiming, making these statements. As I've, I've said all along, even to my partner Tom, who is just his dissertation away from his PhD in anthropology, who am I to question you? You tell me this is something extraordinary. You tell me this is not human. And then when these other scientists all chime in, and one after one, just absolutely no one deviating from you know, that position. Well, what was your who moment? Who am I to question? 
What was your moment? Because I mean, when you said like, you know what, I've spent 25 years researching this. I mean, Roswell is what, you know, you're known best for. When you said like, I'm going to associate myself with this event, what was your moment when you made that decision? Like, this is the kind of thing that I can put um, my name behind. Once the scientists came on board and scientists had slowly been coming on board all along and we just needed to solidify. We just needed to get duplicate and triplicate and quadruple, you know, analyses uh, on the slides. And when I started to, you know, realize that nobody was dissenting, nobody was throwing any wrenches into the works, nobody was suggesting any alternative explanations. I mean, they just, again, from one to the, from the first to the final uh, scientists were saying, not human, not human. Now, again, I'm not going to go so far as to say, well, that proves it's alien. Right. But I guess what else does it leave? And if it's around that very time of Roswell, I, for one, if even in your assessment of me, Mike, if I'm going to champion Roswell, then I should also be the first one to say that, well, if we have pictures of a being that is not human from around that time period, mm-hmm. and the very people who took them worked, resided in that area in 1947. They worked in New Mexico, and they were very close to the President of the United States thereafter. Maybe they were given such an opportunity. I can't fill in all those blanks. Nobody can. We can't prove the circumstances of how they were taken. We can't prove, as I said, that, that the pictures actually depict an alien being. Right. But nonetheless, if we were to take this into a court of law, and if a judge and jury had to sit there and weigh all of the evidence, all of the circumstances involved, and then you throw in all the scientists who are supposed to be, you know, the foremost experts in their fields, and they say, I'm convinced that this being is not human, uh, I guess I'm sorry. I'm not going to argue the point. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to relish it. I'm not going to argue it, but I'm going to at least be objective and open-minded enough to realize that it's just the beginning again of another opportunity. And either we take it and, and, and finish the job or I allow the noisy negatives of Staten Freedom to cause them to rule the day, and I will not do that. Well, you know, that's, that's a, a good attitude. But, and to finish up, I mean, last question, when you say finishing the job or, you know, what you hope will come out of this kind of event, um, what does finishing the job mean to you? I would love to be able to finish the Roswell investigation and get on to just some type of normal life. Get onto something much more simple like cancer research or designing a rocket ship to Mars. (laughs) Right. Um, It's been it's been frustrating for lack of information, lack of you know solid you know nuts and bolts type of information that I require. I've always been a very nuts and bolts investigator. That's one of the reasons we've led the four archaeological projects over these years, and we're going to do a fifth one this fall. So there's another example. We have the event next week in Mexico City, and this fall we're going to do another archaeological dig. So we're also the most proactive investigators still working on this. Too many people, you know, they sit at the keyboards and they pontificate and they judge and they criticize others who are in the trenches, who are out on the battlefield, so to speak. And I intend to finish this. And um, it's... 
if, if, if it were strictly a case of taking the money and run, I wouldn't have spent almost a half of my life working on it. Right. It's hardly been that. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the evidence coming out on, uh, you know, uh, May 5th, and I'm really excited to see the slides and to see what you guys have in store. If people are interested in checking out the event or anything like that, how do they do that? Yes, of course. And it is, it's going to be streamed live. If you go to bewitness, one word, bewitness.org, it will give you all the details, all the information you, your audience will need to uh, stream the event. And it's going to be a full uh, day, full evening of activity. Well, we're certainly to end. we're certainly looking forward to seeing the evidence and and seeing what you got out there. And uh, of course, we'll see you at the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference in June, and we can follow up and see what the reaction has been around the world to the slides. Absolutely, because um, I think that's what we're most nervous about—not what we have. Not what the slides represent, but just how they'll be reacted to, what the response will be. I think the world has become so cynical, so doubtful, but then I would remind them, well, we have the government position on this situation, and then we have what the witnesses are saying. And it's about time we stop just automatically accept, accepting what we don't want to. Well, I think... Uh... You know, I think that's absolutely true. Make sure you got to question everything. Question everything. And that's one of the reasons it's taken us three years on the slides. And uh, next Tuesday will, as I would say, again, will be uh, the beginning of uh, what uh, continuing adventure this will provide. But it will hardly be the last word. It'll be the first word because it'll be the first time they'll actually be presented in public. Fantastic. We look forward to it, and uh, thank you very much for your time today, Don. We got links. My pleasure, to- Mike, and we'll we- see you in June. Look forward to it. All right. Good luck in Mexico City. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. This week's track is about not killing the messenger. Inspired by the Roswell crash, this song is called "Don't Shoot First.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side.